This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and we're glad to welcome back Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's an all-pet day on Creature Comforts this morning. The doors to our virtual pet hospital are wide open. We're welcoming all pet questions today from the big to the small. Maybe you have a cat or dog at home, or maybe both. Do you have a question about an exotic pet like a rabbit, snake, or ferret? Don't hesitate to join our conversation this morning by phone or email. And if you've had a recent wildlife experience that you'd like to share with us, we always like to hear those. Join our conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or email animals at If you ever miss the Creature Comforts broadcast on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday mornings at 6. <coughs> So good morning, Libby. We welcome you back and uh, glad to have you back with us. Uh, if you would, tell us where you've been and a little bit about your travels. Oh, okay. Good morning. That's glad. I'm so glad to be back in Mississippi. We just got home yesterday and I'm uh, enjoying the humid hug and <laughs> the, um, the greenness. But by waiting until October, I think we avoided uh, too much of the humidity. It's beautiful days and I'm reminded of just how absolutely beautiful Mississippi is. But I've uh, taken my annual trip to Oregon and we stayed a little longer this year. So we uh, were gone for, gosh, I think 13 weeks. So I am glad to be back, but we had a wonderful trip and uh, saw lots of beautiful places. We Now that we started driving the trip and camping along the way, this is the fifth time that we've crossed the country with our camper and um, stopped at you know, various places along the way and um, always looking for someplace new and interesting and beautiful. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to see what a great country this is. Lots of wonderful state parks all over Mississippi, all over, well, wonderful state parks in Mississippi. And uh, we found wonderful state parks all over the country. Yeah, um, I took a recent uh, trip. I went out to Palm Springs to visit some friends, and we drove back to Mississippi. And I, the surprise, I thought, was uh, they're not national parks, but they're called national monuments, and they're these natural uh, areas that uh, th- we really came across two of them just on on the way through and stopped. And so I would encourage anybody, if you're out traveling, uh, not only think about the national parks, but these are called the national monuments, uh, and they're preserved areas, uh, nature areas as well. So that's something to keep an eye out for when you're out there crisscrossing uh, our country. So, yes, that, in fact, we uh, we may have visited some of the same places. We'll have to compare our maps. <laughs> we'll have to compare notes when you get Next back. Next time huh? I'm in the studio, <laughs> yes. So good morning, Dr. Major. Today, we it is a pet day. Uh, off the top of uh, the show, though, we, you know, we have a lot of pet owners call and uh, talk about food allergies that involve lots of scratching. Uh, but there are other things that uh, could cause dogs or cats to scratch, including uh, fleas, ticks, that sort of thing. So what is a pet or how is a pet owner supposed to know the difference? Or is that sort of where you come in as the vet? 
One of the things that uh, you have to do is kind of do some uh, work up by that. You need to think in terms of, and I think probably the uh, food allergy may be overplayed. There are a lot of other things that can cause allergies, but, uh, you know, fleas. Obviously, you can check your dog or cat and see if they have fleas. Uh, certainly, that can cause scratching, itching. Uh, a lot of our pets are allergic to certain grasses, uh, things that they come in contact with. And, yes, they can have food allergies as well. Uh, talk to your veterinarian about the food allergy thing because it's fairly complicated in a way. If you switch foods, you really need to do a trial with the food that you're switching to, and it may take four to six weeks to see any uh, real improvement with those food switches. So it's not a simple thing, and uh, I would suggest that consult with your veterinarian about any food change. Um, cats are known to be notoriously finicky when it comes to eating. Um, so uh, would you recommend if you were trying to maybe switch food brands to do a slow transition, like, you know, a bowl of food A and then a gradually add in food B and then more food B and it, until you eventually switch over to it? That is a good way to do it, uh, not to do it just all of a sudden. A lot of times if you switch too soon, uh, it will initiate, if you want to look at it like that, initiate diarrhea and or vomiting. So it takes a little while for the system to get used to a new food, especially in cats. And, of course, cats being cats, uh, they may eat a food good for a few days and then say, hey, I don't want that anymore. Uh, they're very finicky, as you said. And it's, you know, do it with caution as far as switching and I think mixing uh, a new food with the old food for a while will work pretty well. Yeah, I know my cat uh, does not like uh, stale food. Well, not I don't know if it's stale, but I guess he thinks it is because uh, I, I've done this trick several times where he uh, looks like he wants something to eat. There's food in his bowl, and I go over there, and I take the bowl, and I pour it back into the bag, and then I take a scoop and put it back in his bowl, and he runs right over there. So sometimes it's good to have the upper hand because usually the cat has the upper hand in my house. So I do, I, it's always well, good when I can have a little bit of control. Don't count on having the upper hand too long. <laughs> we'll figure, figure your plan out, I'm sure. Yes. Um, Pretty smart. So we mentioned scratching. Is that one of those things, maybe on a on a scale of 1 to 10, how urgent is that? How concerned should you be? Uh, is it something that when you have some excessive scratching, it is time to, to take a trip to the vet? Well, I notice a lot of times if uh, a dog or even a cat is scratching, people say, oh, it's got fleas. My flea control is not working. But you need to examine uh, your your pet to be sure that really it is fleas. And uh, if the skin is being damaged, if it's being, uh, when I say damaged, you see excoriation or scratches where the dog or cat is uh, scratching or rubbing, uh, certainly it's time to take more aggressive action than if the uh, cat or dog is uh, not damaging the skin. It's annoying to see them scratching, but what else can they do? Uh, if it itches, they're going to scratch at it and shake their head if they have an ear infection. Uh, so good exam is important uh, from the standpoint of flea control, which, you know, uh, it's very important to know, too, that we, fleas and ticks are not seasonal here in Mississippi. They're year-round. Mm -hmm. and we have to be prepared and take care of that particular thing. Uh, there are medications that are good for um, the itchy or pruritic dog, uh, and certainly talk with your veterinarian about the things that you might want to use. 
Uh, Dr. Major, I uh, have a question because I've been seeing a, a lot of things online as a recent. And um, I guess to be honest, it's like a, a, a pre-roll for YouTube videos. It's been talking about how uh, dogs use their uh, paws or the licking of their paws as like a soothing mechanism because it could um, because they have something kind of internal. That's uh that's the problem with them. Have you have you heard of that? You're talking about licking their paws now. Yeah, where uh, they lick. Yeah, it's like it's nothing wrong with their paws, and I, you know, I guess uh, as a uh, they're not right. scratching their paws, but they're licking on their paws and and just kind of trying to soothe themselves because they have some kind of internal um uh something going on. Right. Well, you know, a classic picture is you think of the cartoons or whatever. You see a cat licking his paws and extending its claws, you know, like, hey, I'm going to tear you up. But it is a grooming thing, and dogs groom their self as well as far as their feet especially. They may lick other areas, but they really do that. Now, there are some reasons that they may lick excessively, uh, such as arthritis or injury to a foot or, you know, a leg. Uh, even dogs with hip dysplasia may lick and chew their rear legs more often than, than a normal dog would. But I think you're right. There may be a soothing effect. And, you know, think about this. I, so many of our dogs and cats like to lick us. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's universal, but I would say that uh, a lot of times the dogs will also try to groom us and lick us. Now, whether they're uh, getting a particular taste or anything on our skin, uh, I don't know. But I would also uh, caution your dog should not be licking an open wound. Uh, certainly that can be an issue on you. In other words, if you have a wound on your arm or leg, it's better that your dog does not lick that. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and it's an all-pet day. If you have a pet question for us this morning, and we'll get to Kathleen here before our first break. If you have a question, though, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. As promised, our friend Kathleen is on the line from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Well, I kind of got a little cat update. I thought you'd appreciate the humor behind it. It's been eight years, Dr. Toy, since I adopted BB, the cat that I didn't want to adopt. Um, yes. He, from that uh, mall he had with that uh, raccoon, he has been blinded in one eye. But, uh, I mean from the beginning, but he's made out just fine. I wanted to tell you about some of the habits he's got. He has learned that when I put the little blanket at the foot of my bed and pat it with the brush comb, he jumps up there and waits for me to brush him for his fleas or whatever, you know, and he does it when he wants to. So now he's decided when he wants to get brushed, he just goes up there and says, like, come on, Come on, get over here. I'm, I'm waiting, don't you think? And I go, did you get spoiled, baby? And he looked at me like, okay, this is it. I'm getting my brush, and I don't care what's going on. But he does it. Then the other day, the blanket wasn't there. So I just kind of put it on the bed on the other side, and he dragged it over to his side to let me know this is where I get my brushing. You messed up. I'm just correcting you. But I just thought after all these years, it's been eight years, and, um, you know, I've lost a lot of cats over the last year and a half, and the three that I have left were all three strays that I had taken in. 
So it's worth taking them in. It really is. Just give them a good home, and they have wonderful, wonderful pets. All right. Thanks, Kathleen. Good to hear from you. I know that that's, uh, I read this online, and it's true of my cat as well. They love to be the center of attention. We talk about them being standoffish, but I know my cat always likes to come up and sit on my computer desk when I'm doing something up there. And fortunately, I bought one that has the slide-out uh, keyboard drawer, so he doesn't get in the way of that. But he would sit right on that keyboard, I think, if he if he had the chance. It is time Kevin, for our... you know, Go ahead. Excuse me. You know that... Think about this. Our cats and dogs are in the process of training us yes. uh, when you look at it. So I'm sure that our listeners can attest to that. But, yes, they, they actually train us. And, and we are usually very good at having them do what they want us to do. <laughs> hey, we need to take a quick break. It's the first break of the hour when we get back. We'll continue looking for your pet questions for Dr. Major. Also, Libby's on hand, ready to talk about your other creature encounters. Call with questions and comments. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and it's an all-pet day on uh, Creature Comforts. If you want to join the conversation with a question or comment, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So we're looking for your pet questions, but as we mentioned, Libby's back with us on the phone. So, Libby, uh, did you see any sort of uh, different sorts of birds uh, that uh, Mississippians might be interested in on your trip? Yep. We might be having some technical issues with Libby, which we will get back her back on the air with us here in just a minute. Uh, so Dr. Major is, I guess, uh, an annual checkup is usually good for most pets. Uh, does that change at all if the pets are younger, like puppies or kittens, or if they get older, uh, do we they need more or less frequent visits, or is that annual visit pretty good their whole time? An annual visit is good, and depending on the health of the animal, certainly uh, semi-annual. We have some animals that have to come in every two or three months for various reasons because of health issues such as diabetes, uh, liver disease, uh, kidney disease. These are things that can be fairly intensive over a longer period of time. The annual checkup is important. It uh, gives the veterinarian a chance to examine your pet, uh, listen to its heart, hear from you what you may be seeing, if there's anything abnormal. And, you know, you like to really just run your hand over uh the dog or cat's body just to see if there are any lumps or bumps that may have come up all of a sudden. Uh, also, a dental exam is very important uh, to see how the teeth are. Uh, we see a fairly large amount or fairly large number of dogs and cats that develop dental disease. So as they get older, in answer to your question, I think it's more important to maybe have a semi-annual uh, checkup as opposed to just an annual, depending on the health of the animal. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's go to the phone lines again. Randy's called in from Brookhaven. Good morning, Randy. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, good morning. I was just listening to your comment about animals training us, and I had a question about communication because we adopted a, a stray dog about three years ago into our house, and uh, it befriended our pet that we had at the time. And, 
anyway, since uh, he's been in our house, this dog seems to get smarter and smarter because I can talk to him and he just listens. And I'm not a dog uh, trainer or an addict or anything. And uh, like when I'm mowing the lawn, I'll tell him to get up on the garden bench, you know, to be out of the way a lot more. And he does it. They just seems to be understanding more and more. And I was wondering, uh, is that normal for dogs to just get to where they just understand their people? That's all. That's all my whole question. Great, great point. Great question. Uh, I would say that, yes, in, in many cases, they do become, uh, what should I say, more and more attuned to our conversations, and they understand. And I'm convinced that dogs and cats, a lot of times, sense or know rather than a spoken word they know your emotions, they know your feelings, and uh, communicate uh, in ways that we may not be aware. But uh, not every dog can do what this stray dog that came into your household has done. Uh, and I think a lot of the, when when you read all this different stuff about dog training and dog attitude, this sort of thing, you understand that uh, a lot of them have had bad experiences, especially the adoption dogs. You've got to work with them. When I say adoption, I'm saying they may have a reason that they're up for adoption. So you really have to take extra care, extra precautions, and really just good communication with the dog, realizing that uh, they may have some difficulties. But it sounds like your dog is quite smart, and I suspect that that's a carryover, too, to our concept of uh, dogs and people. Uh, some are able to learn much more rapidly than others. So thanks for your call. That was a good point. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. Good to hear from you from Brookhaven. And, and I, I think I agree with you, Dr. Major. I think pets, our pets are more aware of our maybe nonverbal cues and, and that sort of thing. Because you think about it, they're kind of watching us the whole time that they're, we're together. So I think that they pick up on maybe those nonverbal cues better than we think that they do. Classic example are cats. Okay, the cat, you know, is always doing its thing. They have a schedule, usually a routine, whether it's looking out the window, uh, looking for a bird or an uh, anole, you know, on the window or on the side of the house. But let's say that you decide that you're going to take the cat to the, to the vet uh, one morning, and you don't verbally communicate that. You don't have the carrier out, but you can't find the cat. <laughs> it knows. It knows that uh, hey, something is up, and you may have to go look. Had one lady had to go look under the bed. The cat had got under there and did not want to come out, but she had not done anything really to, in her mind to tip the cat off. So they can understand pretty much what's going on with us. That's happened to me a number of times, and again, I, I claim a small victory for humans in that I've learned uh, that I close off all the doors into the rooms where he likes to run and hide in, and so at least evens the playing field a little bit uh, and gives me a chance to get him into his carrier and, and get him on to the vet. So, uh, right. Hey, we've got another caller on the line, so let's say this time, let's say good morning to Sarah in Oxford. Sarah, you're on the air with us. It's your turn. Uh, thank you. Uh, good morning. Uh, yes, um, I have a similar situation. Uh, the last caller... We have a dog that has adopted us, um, and we are her humans, um, and she's uh, very bright and very gentle. And one of the things that we, we know have noticed is that she goes through periods where she'll eat non-food items, like she'll eat paper or she'll eat the foam from her 
her pet bed. Um, and and um, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's this uh, period of time um, that she'll do that, and she'll still eat her her uh, her food and uh, and and that thing and that stuff. But um, I'm wondering if that's something that we need to worry about. Certainly, if she's ingesting large amounts uh, of the stuffing from a toy, let's say, or toys. Uh, we have one dog that's a regular here that uh, will actually eat center of a comforter out or a towel. And this dog, we've done surgery on that dog once and threatened to do it again, but actually was, has the amazing ability to pass some of the longest pieces of cloth and everything. But it can be dangerous because it can cause uh, lacerations in the intestine. It can cause some real problems. So as long as it's limited to a small amount, I don't see how you can probably avoid it. Uh, paper is usually not that big a problem, uh, but the stuffing probably a lot of it may be fiberglass or some other synthetic material, which could cause some problems. So if you have an opportunity and are able to do it, try to uh, remove those items uh, from your dog's reach. We've noticed um, that um, she likes to chew. There are times when she's chewing more often than not. And so then we gave her a chew toy, and that seemed to help. Um, and it's not a whole lot. It's not a large quantities. Um, it just It's just uh, a little bit. Um, and so we added lentils uh, to her diet a while ago. Uh, we thought maybe it was a fiber issue, um, and that, that seemed to help. But we just wanted to know if it was something we needed to pay a little more attention to? Certainly, if she's uh, ingesting large quantities, I'd say it's certainly a problem, but uh, small amounts of, I mean, what do we know sometimes that our dogs do uh, ingest, especially if they're outside? Uh, But I would be careful. And like a toy, if she starts to, uh, uh, what should I say, tear up a toy or uh, rip it apart, it's good to always maybe take those parts away from her and get her another toy okay well thank you very much thanks sarah good to hear from you this morning let's uh, get another call before our next break and this time we've got willie on the line from vidalia good morning willie go ahead yes sir when i was asking a question about uh we had these clear coated lizards be out at nighttime you can't hide a film sometimes if you don't look real close you see it can you see them and most time they come out of there at night, um, they're going to be around the lights and all the time, the light be on. What's the point? How you can kind of put them down to kind of keep Sometimes they get too many of them. I don't know. Right. What, what, what you're seeing, and you can almost see through through those little uh, lizards, they're geckos, actually. And they come out at night uh, around the lights, especially, and they eat the insects that come there. They're harmless as far as um, any any problem from your standpoint, uh, and they do eat uh, eat insects. But those would be what uh, Libby helped me here, Mediterranean geckos, I believe, and uh, they uh, they're pretty much all over the southeast now, I believe. But they are harmless. Yeah. Troy, we've talked about those before, haven't we? They're um, really just over the last 20 years or so, they've um, really become prominent around the southeast. Okay. Okay, then. I'm going to no harm. That sounds good to me. 
All right. Yeah, they're not going to hurt you, and they're just going to eat insects. Thanks for the call, Willie. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, before we take our next break, you know, I, I, I knew a veterinarian once who uh, who took up chiropractic on the side. Uh, they they called him an animal cracker. Okay. <laughs> Very good. All right. All right. <laughs> Just had to get that one out. It is time for another break. When we get back, we'll continue taking your pet questions. Call right now. If you have one, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you missed any of today's program, you can subscribe to the podcast uh, using your favorite podcasting app or subscribe to the MPB Public Media app, and then you get to listen to all the MPB uh, Think Radio programs on your schedule. You can also access MPB television from the app. To join our conversation this morning, and we do have some open phone lines, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. So, Dr. Major, as we wait for some calls to come in, I've been considering uh, getting some, I think they called soft paws. My cat has a couple of claws that are really sharp, and he tends to get them caught sometimes in material and uh, sometimes on my skin as well. And I've been hesitant, hesitant to try to clip his nails because I'm just afraid that I'll do some more damage than good, you know, him kind of getting jerking away at the last moment or whatever. And I know we've talked about the soft paws on the air before, um, do the cats seem to, does it bother them at all? Do they just seem to go along with their normal course of activities once you w- put the things on? You know, you can actually make a fashion statement with the soft paws. <laughs> they have everything from pink to sparkly to uh, clear, whatever. But the cats seem to tolerate those real well. They will still uh, try to sharpen their paws, if you will. Uh, on a scratching post, uh, this sort of thing, or your furniture. But the softballs are, are efficient. Uh, they usually last uh, about a month, and you may have to start replacing uh, the, uh, you know, the softballs after that. But uh, trimming the cat's claws, you can actually trim and do maybe one foot at a time, but uh, certainly you can actually trim using basically toenail clippers or small clippers and just take it easy, extend that claw out and just take the very tip off where it's sharp. That can be done, and you really need to do that if you apply the soft paws because they need to be trimmed back a little bit. Yeah, and like I said, I, I might try. I'm just so worried because he's he's very good at sort of I've got him in place, and then at the last minute he'll want to you know jerk away or whatever, and I'm just always afraid that I'll maybe clip into the quick or something and cause more damage. So, um, what would you say though? Do you think maybe as you say one paw at a time, give it a give it a shot and see how it goes? Yes, I would. I would. I would suggest if you can do that, uh, and you you know your cat. Not every cat will it be still for you to do that. But just kind of mash on that 
uh, claw that you're trying to trim where you extend it rather than trying to uh, do it without being extended. You know, cats can conceal their claws pretty well when they want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, if they scratch you, it's not it's extended then. But um, if you just take the tips off, you can see where the, there's a hook there. Mm-hmm. I call it a hook where it narrows down. So always err on the uh, side of caution when you're trimming the claws and don't overdo it. You're right, though. I think if I tried, you're, it would just be you just need that real, the real tip of it to, to blunt it so it doesn't get stuck everywhere. So I might go ahead and work up enough uh, nerve to, to give that a try. Right. We've got a caller on the line. So let's say good morning to Sue from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I'd like to ask uh, Dr. Major and, and ask y'all a question. And I, I wanted to get my daughter to call and, and explain what she saw. But she, she was driving early in the morning. She has a job where she was on the road early in the morning, the other morning when it was foggy like, you know, and uh, this critter crossed the road in front of her car, and she said it looked like a mountain lion. It was it looked just like those pumas out from out west, you know, with the tawny color and the long tail and everything. And uh, do, do you suppose we could be getting mountain lions over here? Maybe, maybe all the fires in California are sending animals over this way. Do you suppose it's possible? Could it be mountain lions over here? That's interesting. How big was this animal? Did she say? It, it, she said it definitely was not just like a house. It was a big animal, like a, like a big, like a, like a, like you see these mountain lions, you know. Okay. It, it and I, I would animal. have to say this, right? And and this is a constant thing that uh, your uh, your wildlife people are, what should I say, questioned about. But in most cases, if it's got any size at all, we're talking about. Uh, pet release. Uh, a lot of times people will have an animal like this. Either it will escape, uh, but there, and, and Libby can help me on this, but there are no records actually of full-size uh, cougars uh, in in Mississippi except for the release uh, type thing. Libby, yeah, there? That's, yeah, that's what I, I've, that's what I've always heard too, is that um, there, there are no scientific records of uh, mountain lion, puma, cougar, whatever common name you want to say, and uh, for, gosh, I think over a hundred years, those those animals I think were pretty threatening or pretty scary to early pioneers, and they pretty much got wiped out. They're um they're hard to miss if they are there because um they're usually roadkills, and in Florida where they had a few um. Florida panthers left. There, that in fact, that was one of the big threats to the population was roadkills. So I, I, I've, I pretty much assumed that it would be very hard for us to have a population here without getting one caught on a, you know, a, a, a wildlife cam or um, hit on the road. We don't really think they are. But now I've seen something similar to what your granddaughter saw, and it did end up being a a big dog that uh, I I saw it like that crossing the road one time, and I went back to the same place, and I did find that dog in the daylight because I was so curious to see what I had seen, to find out what I had seen. All right, uh, Sue, thanks for the call. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Libby. If you just if it's dark and, and then the, the creature is on the move and maybe you just catch it in your headlights or whatever, you, you know, you don't really v- get a very good look at it. And it could be uh, something, as you said, like a large dog, something along those lines. So, um, and again, yeah. you know, go ahead, Dr. Major. Yeah, yeah. 
Kevin, you know that uh, there are uh, <clears throat> some releases. Uh, I haven't seen any report lately, but people that have these as pets, uh, quite often they get tired of it or they escape. And they can be quite large, and we're talking about uh, as big as any uh, western cougar. Uh, and back in the old days, uh, there were panthers. That's what everybody locally, I thought, used to call them, panthers. But I have seen, uh, back when I did large animal work, I've seen some small, uh, probably 25-pound, 20, maybe cats, but they had a long tail and were tawny. And uh, I never was able to <coughs> verify that as far as being a cougar. Uh, Java, I yeah. think, has, uh, go ahead, Libby. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that um, Dana Morin is scheduled to be on our show next week, and she's a professor of biology, University of um, well, at Mississippi State, and she's fairly new to the southeast, but she's worked a lot with big cats and big animals around the country, and she's coming to talk to us about um, about coyotes next week, but I think we could probably get her to make a few comments about uh, the possibility of cougar. All right, great. We look forward to that uh, next Thursday. I think Java has an email for us. Yes, we just had a, a pet email come in, Dr. Major, and it says, Hi, is the slow-kill heartworm treatment for a friend's dog acceptable? Looking for a budget-friendly treatment for dog owner on limited budget. Thanks. Great question, and uh, that is that is an issue as far as the cost involved with uh, treating uh, heartworms. As far as the official statement by the uh, Heartworm Society, there is a Heartworm Society of veterinarians that belong to that, and uh, they recommend the, the regular or fast kill method because of they feel like potentially developing resistant uh, heartworm uh, in the population. But the slow kill for a lot of people is one of the things that can work. Uh, they have to be put on a heartworm preventive. Uh, doxycycline is used uh, usually on a, for a month, skip two months, and come back and do it two or three times like that. The doxycycline helps to uh, kill bacteria that are associated with the heartworm. So cost-wise, you are looking at a savings. And the other thing about slow kill versus fast kill if you do the fast kill you really have to restrict the dog's activity which is impossible for some people to do uh, especially if it's an outside dog in the yard uh, the slow kill does not call, have that much risk as opposed to the actual fast kill in the fast kill they die fairly rapidly and you can have uh, an embolus if you will going into the lungs and certainly could cause death. So it's it's debatable, but we do see people that prefer to have the slow kill as opposed to fast kill. So this is for uh, dogs that already have heartworms, and these are the two treatments, slow kill and fast kill treatments. Right, and, you know, the best thing to do is have your dog on preventive and keep it on preventive, and you won't have to deal with the fact the dog has heartworms. So uh, these are dogs that what uh, the person that made the email 
certainly uh, the dog already has heartworms, and this is the two preferred treatments. This is Creature Comforts, and it's time for last break of the hour. It's all pet day. Dr. Major will stick through the end of the hour to take your pet questions. The phone lines are open, so if you have one, now is a great time to call in. Libby's here as well, back with us, ready to talk about your latest brushes with nature. To join the conversation, it's a phone call, 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464, or an email, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Still time for you to join the conversation with your pet question or maybe your wildlife experience you'd like to share with us. The number's 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, so, Libby, we're having a little bit of uh, technical issues a little bit earlier. We uh, asked you about maybe some of the, the, the birds that you saw out west that uh, folks here in Mississippi might be interested in hearing about. Yes, I didn't have as much time for birding as I usually do, but um, on the trip home, two things that I might want to share because uh, they're probably more likely that our listeners might see these birds are two kinds of long tail birds. One, uh, scissor tail flycatchers. That's kind of a bird of my childhood when I used to visit my grandparents in Texas. I always enjoyed seeing them. And it's a kind of a, a small average size flycatcher, except that he's got a great big long tail, which makes it look almost like a tropical bird. The male's tail is the longest and um, hers is about five inches shorter than his, but it's still long. And um, I always want to see them uh, as I cross through um, New Mexico and Texas. And I did see two scissor tail flycatchers this trip. And uh, I read a little bit about them um, Oh, gosh, it's been a while ago now, but the one thing that I remember is that they have made kind of a steady move to the east. It used to be just pretty much impossible to see one, except in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and that area. But uh, now it's become almost common for people to spot at least one scissor tail flycatcher somewhere in Mississippi each year. So it's something that would be worth um looking for and usually you just find them by looking at a power line and seeing that big long tail they'll be sitting there with all the other little birds but their tails are really long <laughs> and they are a typical fly catcher and that they they sally out from their high perch and catch insects and then go back and watch again and they're uh, very sharp eyed and quick at maneuvering to catch insects then the other big bird are uh, the magpies, and I love to see magpies. They're a, a black and white, mostly black with white detail on a, a big-bodied bird. And gosh, I guess they're 20 or 20 inches or so long, and they also, their tail is long, but their body is also very stout. I've never seen the yellow-billed magpies. I think they're only in California, but the black-billed magpie is um, a really cool bird to watch, and it uh, behaves 
pretty much, I guess he, you could consider him a predator. And I think he's probably looking for lizards and frogs and uh, in the places where he hunts, probably even um, uh, some different kinds of reptiles than we're used to seeing here, like the, what we used to call horn toads. Mm -hmm. they, uh, magpies are usually in the same areas with horn toads, but uh, they're a really cool bird to watch. And I see those in, and uh, all the way on the, the trip, I see them a good bit in Colorado, Utah, and um, Oregon is always a good place to find them. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Major, I know there's a, been a story in the news here just this week about a new type of or a, a butterfly larva that was discovered in Gulfport in a shipment of pineapples, and I was trying to do a search to uh, figure out what the name was. Did, have you heard that in the news, and are you familiar with that kind of butterfly? No, I'm not. I had not seen that. Uh, I'll see what I can find, but uh, I did not see that. Yeah, it's, uh, they came from Costa Rica, I think, uh, and it's, um, it was interesting because they said that uh, they came in with a shipment of pineapples, and the the, the shipment was sent back, and then they've uh, gone ahead and, I think, captured the butterfly or the larva, whatever it was, for um, for examination. Because, obviously, when something like that comes in, they need to you to know, you know, if it's going to be uh, deadly to any of the crops or anything uh, here in the U.S. It's, I've got a picture of it, a very colorful butterfly, big black wings with a white stripe down the middle and some color down at the bottom. And I cannot find the name of it in this. Uh, let me go ahead and continue looking through that. Meanwhile, though, we've got a caller on the line. So let's say good morning to Tim. Tim, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. I was just wondering, what's the best thing, or is there anything surgically that can be done about big dogs that drool? Uh-huh. Wow. And when you say big dogs, you're talking about, what, mastiffs or yeah. some of the... Fine Corso is what I've had in the past. Right. Yes, yes. You know, that's an interesting thing. I would say this, that uh, my wife had uh, researched dogs, you know, big dogs, and we got a Dogo Argentina, which is a type of mastiff. It's mixed, mixed uh, developed in Argentina back in the 20s. That dog did not drool, uh, but most of the mastiffs uh, will drool. Not all of them, but most of them will. And, uh, and you know, they're... There are different mastiffs just about for every country, you know, Portugal, Spain, uh, uh, South American countries. But I would say that the majority of mastiffs do drool somewhat. I don't know how you would be able to stop that. Well, I noticed that her lips would hang down, and it was just seemed like a mechanical property that the drool couldn't, saliva couldn't stay in the mouth because mechanically, the the lip was uh, so loose, and I was right. wondering if surgically you could tighten that lip and prevent the drool. I think they would still drool and just flow over. I suspect. I don't. I haven't had that question before, but I I would think that surgery for that probably would two things be difficult to do it right, and also uh, they would still drool. They produce that excess saliva. So uh, you'd have to talk to somebody that's more of an expert in that field, maybe someone that raises uh, mastiffs might be able to help you with that problem. 
If I may, I've got a second question. Also, in the past, I've had a German Shepherd, and my veterinarian warned me that a, a shepherd, German Shepherd will uh, turn on you, and mine did, bit me twice before he was run over and killed. <clears throat> Is that something that can be trained out of a dog? Oh, gosh. I would have to say that possibly, and I think certain bloodlines might be more apt to have that tendency to bite. Uh, the German Shepherd, of course, is a has been trained for years as a guard dog, uh, used extensively uh, for that ability to bite. And I would say that uh, there's always that, that chance. Dobermans, for example, uh, quite often you have a household Doberman that does well for uh, years, six, seven years, and then all of a sudden it might start biting. So I, I say that that's probably nothing that can be trained out. Uh, it may be more the individual uh, Doberman or German Shepherd having that issue, but uh, I, I don't know that I can tell you that it can be trained out. Now, Dr. Major, I know we all use different language, but is that, a, uh, I guess, a, an actual thing where you say a dog will turn on you? Uh, there are some dogs that have done that. And, of course, the caller indicated that this dog did, and the vet uh, obviously was tipped off for some reason, maybe examining the dog and knowing that. Not all German Shepherds will bite. However, I have seen a large portion of them will if you push them or if they decide, hey, I don't like this. So we always take cautions with German Shepherds uh, here at the clinic simply because they're powerful dogs, and if they do decide to bite, it could be damaging. Uh, I did a little research. Uh, the larva of the Saunders 1850 butterfly was discovered it was in a shipment from Costa Rica of some pineapples, and instead of shipping them back, they basically had to destroy the shipment to be on the safe side. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. But again, so Dr. Major, the Saunders 1850, have you ever heard of that one? That's interesting. I wonder if it has uh, markings that might look like 1850 on it somewhere. I don't know. Uh, or maybe somebody just named it, and that was the 1850th uh <laughs> butterfly that they saw. That's an interesting name. I'll try to look that up and do a little research on it. All right. Good. Very good. Uh, I think that has to do with the year. Yeah. I think oh. that's something with um, that it was, yeah, it was a, I think that has to do with the year 1850. Um, I read a little bit about them too. And it's, um, they eat um, pineapples and legumes and sunflowers and gingers. And it's, um, it's something that they've, worked, I think, in the past to try to keep out of the United States. It was a known agricultural pest. So the guys in Gulfport did a good job of noticing in them and getting rid of the shipment right away. Yeah, that's one of those where you've got to err on the side of caution because we certainly don't want to release, you know, a new insect that's going to cause uh, itch issues with the agricultural uh, uh, industry in the U.S. That is going to wrap us up that's for right. today. Creature Comfort is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit mpbonline.org slash creature comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Lisa Lancaster. 
So for Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next, it's AutoCorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.